0: For more information, visit OutdoorEdge.com. You're listening to the Average Conservationist Podcast, brought to you in partner with 2% for Conservation. 2% for Conservation's mission is to create an alliance of businesses and individuals that ensure the future of hunting and angling by committing their time and dollars to fish and wildlife. 1% and dollars back to wildlife, but it's not just for outdoor companies, breweries, contractors, coffee roasters, and even piano repair companies have earned 2% certification and stand out as leaders in their communities for doing so. Businesses that businesses that are committed to conservation deserve your business when you shop. Learn more about 2% for conservation at fishandwildlife.org. That's fishandwildlife.org. All right, happy Wednesday, everyone. Welcome back to the Average Conservationist Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. Okay, so today I'm going to do something uh, a little bit different, I suppose, um, <clears throat> and not something that uh, I think that I've done uh, in the almost three years uh, that, that I've had the opportunity uh, to do this podcast, but there was an episode not too long ago, uh, maybe four or five weeks ago, uh, with Walter Piper. Uh, and we discussed uh, the loons, um, specifically in kind of the upper Midwest. And the, the goal of that podcast really was to have Walter uh, be able to talk about the work that he and his team are doing uh, in terms of research uh, and studies uh, of, the, of the loon and also uh, because of... Um, some lost funding, uh, try to, um, you know, through, uh, the loon project, um, website, try to help raise some money so that going forward into the future that Walter, uh, the project that Walter is, is currently working on, um, was fully funded, uh, as best as possible since, uh, as I mentioned, losing that funding. And I don't know that we really did, um, well, no, let me let me back up there i want to make sure that we're doing everything that we can for a species as great as the loon and something that is uh you know so iconic uh to so many especially um in the midwest in the upper midwest and and really all over uh, i've had a few guests um in the past uh Drew Youngdike for example who we we had a very long discussion uh, about loons and <clears throat> it's it's one of those things that, you know, I got to thinking about it, and I didn't have a guest scheduled for this week, and I thought, yeah, I can do one of two things. I can sit here uh, and talk at you guys for, you know, half hour, 40 minutes, whatever, and possibly talk about some stuff that I've talked about in the past, or, you know, hot button or, or you know, conservation issues or topics that are, you know, are, are fairly relevant right now, or... I can try to do some good by re-releasing the episode that uh, I had a chance to do with Walter. And maybe you heard it the first time around, and if you did, uh, I'm going to apologize right off the bat uh, because maybe you were expecting something new this week. Uh, But if you didn't get a chance to listen to it the first time around, uh, now is a great opportunity to go back or to, for the first time, I guess, listen to the episode and Get a better understanding of what Walter and his team are doing, um, the results that they are seeing, uh, and then also ways that you guys can donate and make sure that the <clears throat> the funding is there. Uh, it's necessary. Um you know, Walter talks about in the episode how he runs a uh, a very you know tight budget tight ship um, it, when it comes to the to dollars and cents that are being put into it. Um, He has a lot of volunteer uh, researchers that are on there and in order to, you know, pay for some of their meals or to pay for uh, the necessary equipment um, so that they can check these boxes and things like nesting boxes uh, and things like that. um, You know, this is where a lot of that funding is going to. Um, So I I highly encourage you guys, if you didn't get a chance to check it out the first time, listen to it this time Um, and all the details Uh, about where you can donate, where you can give back, how you can help be part of the solution going forward. All of that uh, Walter (coughs) touches on, um, I think towards the end of the episode. So I hope you guys really enjoy this one. Uh, It was a conversation that I really enjoyed with Walter uh, when we did have a chance to to speak. And and hopefully we can kind of help push him over the edge here um, after all of you great supporters and listeners get a chance to listen to it. So episode 148, uh with Walter Piper enjoy everyone all right Walter Piper welcome to the podcast sir how are you today
1: I'm good I'm good how are you
0: I'm doing well thanks I'm glad that uh we got to chat for a few minutes and and talk baseball and and things like that and some uh some mutual uh some players that we find a mutual interest in and admiration for so it's always nice to to have kind of that precursor conversation and, and find a little common ground before actually starting to record here
1: yeah absolutely
0: so Walter, we, um, our friends over at 2% for Conservation kind of put us in touch with one another um, about a project that you've, you're currently working on, you've been working on, um, and one that's kind of in a critical state. And we thought it would be a great idea to to get you on here, uh, to share the work that you're doing, and hopefully try to help push this this project that you've been working on um, across the finish line. So. To kind of kick things off here, Walter, tell us a little bit about yourself, and then we'll kind of we'll get into the the project that you're working on as well.
1: Okay, great. Um, well, I'm a professor of biology at uh, Chapman University in Orange, California and i've been here since uh, 1999 i always say i've been here since the last millennium just to make it sound like it <laughs> sound really impressive but uh since 99 and actually even before that i was studying loons in wisconsin and i uh, started in 1993 in in our study area in wisconsin in the rhinelander minoqua area <clears throat> um, and uh, i'm a i'm trained as a behavioral ecologist and, and that is to say i study Territorial behavior, aggressive behavior, and and mostly of birds. And so I was going along merrily along and studying loons, and and you know they're wonderful birds and much loved birds, um, in the north country, and um, noticed. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm I'm getting off track here. I no, guess already, but good. but uh, but I noticed in in about, um, you know, I guess four or five years ago, it occurred to me when we captured them to mark them each year, that uh, the chicks were not as heavy. They were not attaining lar- as large mass as they had in previous years. And so I got to be worried about that. And also it seemed like there were fewer two chick broods. They either have one or two chicks. And uh, so I um, I thought to myself, well, I better analyze this statistically. It's I, I'm not a conservationist by training, but everyone's a conservationist if they have to be, uh, right, right? absolutely. So, uh, and loons, uh, you know, when you love loons uh, and study them the way I do, you feel like you, you, you want to give something back and um, you don't want loons, you don't want your study animal to, to, to disappear. So I did an analysis, uh, several analyses uh, three or four years ago and published a paper showing that uh, the loons really are declining. they are fewer two chicks broods, that they're not that the chicks really, truly don't weigh as much. They're about, they're down by more than 10 percent if you adjust for age uh, in terms of their mass uh their reproductive success by any measure is way down and their whole up population size has declined by 22 percent in our study area which is an alarming number i mean that's a that's yeah. a big number it means almost a quarter of all the birds have have disappeared and um, especially the birds in a, the, the floaters the young adults before they've reached uh, they've they 've settled on territories, those birds are disappearing so so I just uh got very worried about them and um, started to turn my attention to okay what 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 's going on what 's the problem? how can we potentially find out why the decline is occurring and how we can fix it so now there 's a very much of a c- conservation focus to my work
0: so what was it that even made you kind of look at the womb? in the first place. I mean, uh, you know, obviously being, you know, a professor of biology, I mean, it's without making a, a, a terrible joke here. I mean, it, it kind of is in your DNA to, yeah. you know, uh, you know, see problems or, or, assess situations, um, you know, from a biological standpoint, but, you know, you're, you're in, at Chapman university, you're, you know, in Southern California yeah. in the loon, you know, predominantly is, and I don't want to misspeak to to say, oh, there's loons everywhere. But, you know, predominantly, you know, in the in the northern Midwest, uh, I mean, I'm, you know, here in Michigan. I mean, loons are one of those things that I, I grew up, you know, the yeah. very distinct calling sound of a loon, you know, seeing them dive. And then, you know, 30 seconds later, they pop back up, you know, yeah. 30, 40, 50 yards, you know, down the lake or something right. like that. It's just it's a very iconic sound uh, and bird for for a lot of us here. So what what drew your attention to that in the first place?
1: Well. Um, I really was similar to your experience, Marcus, in that when I was a child, I, we had a, um, still have a, 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 string of rustic cabins way up in, in Ontario, Canada. And, uh, you know, as, as long as I can remember, um, we heard loon's cries echo across the water yeah. on Lake Tamagami way up there, North of North Bay, Ontario, and, uh, and, and like you say, dive, at, and then they, you know, they disvanish under the water. Like, yep. where do they come up? Of course, when you're a kid, you know, like, oh, let's try to find it. And, uh, you know, it'd come, come up 200 yards away. And like, it's just a magical creature. And of course, when you got lucky enough to get close to them, they're, they're this just strikingly gorgeous animal as well. And really interesting, quirky behaviors that they have. So so I got fascinated with them at an early age. but But really, if you could pick a bird... That's or an animal, I guess, that's hard to study that you might not even want to study. It would be a, an aquatic diving bird that's hard to approach closely. <laughs> and so really they're the worst study animal in some ways to, to study, um, except that... Um, you know, about 30 years ago, some folks developed a technique for capturing them with efficiently going out in motorboats when they have chicks, and you can you can sometimes capture the adults and the chicks. And so, um, I got into them. Actually, I was a postdoc at IU in, in Indiana University in Bloomington, and uh, when somebody learned, I, I was up in in uh, in the upper. Peninsula, actually at Whitefish Point Bird Observatory okay. uh, in the UP, um, studying white-throated sparrows. When Dave Evers, this fellow who continues to study loons, uh, figured out how to how to catch. He's the one really who kind of improved the technique for catching loons. And uh, at night, by just you're really just spotlighting them at night. But uh, it's a it's an effective and safe uh, technique, and it's a technique that allows you to catch and mark um a lot of birds fairly efficiently and i mean it's marking an animal is is a profound thing being able to catch and mark an individual because then suddenly these these animals that were otherwise impossible to tell apart you can't tell one from the other even though they're strikingly plumaged that you can't tell them apart in any way so once you get bands these harmless colored plastic leg leg bands on their legs you can tell oh my gosh that's red over silver green over yellow that's the same male that was there last year he's back you know this year and then you can start to measure things like survival rate and you can not to mention behaviors um territorial behavior to see if they're battling for their territory and and all that so so anyway to summarize i got started you know i was enchanted by loons um and i kind of got interested in them when when i learned about this new technique uh that came about for catching them efficiently. And I thought, well, if we can catch enough of them and uh, start to study their territorial behavior, because he also noticed, Dave Evers also noticed that that occasionally they they evict each other, they kick each other off territories. And that was okay. really interesting to me as someone who studied territorial behavior. So I kind of got hooked back in 1992. And I told him, I, I, I made that the kind of phrase, I said the kind of thing you never should say to someone, which is, <laughs> Someone should study this. (laughs) You know, kind of, of kind of, yeah, kind of jinxing myself to study because no one immediately was had the training and interest to study the behavior, even though it looked like there were some interesting things going on, and so. I started, and, and we, he kind of he and uh, Mike Meyer with the Wisconsin DNR. Um, he, he was also studying loons in, and marking them in Wisconsin. So I settled in Wisconsin, where there was a cluster of studied of, of loons already marked, and, and began to add to that effort. And that was, you know, 31 years ago. So. Um,
0: so, what are some of the things that you've learned over the years about the loon that? you know, prior to you just had, you know, I, I know you just mentioned the, the, the territorial aspect of, <clears throat> of loons, but what, w- what are some things that you learned along the line that just kind of make you really scratch your head or you're just kind of in awe of, of what you've come across?
1: Yeah. I mean, there are lots of things that, that have surprised us, but, um, one of the, maybe the single most surprising thing, and I still can't figure out why it happens is that we know that, that loons st- uh, pair stay close together and work very close together through all aspects of the reproductive effort and so you know they pair together they go out and build their nest together but what we didn't know uh, we also know sorry we also know that they use this rule called the win stay lose switch rule which means simply uh if you nest you put a nest in one part of the lake and and that you hatch chicks from that nest, then you reuse that. That's winning, and then you stay. You come back the next year, and you use that nest again. Okay. And if you lose, that is, if if a raccoon gets your eggs, the raccoons are the worst predators, uh, if a raccoon gets the eggs, then you move to a new location okay so that's losing and switching Win, win stay win and reuse the nest site lose and uh lose your eggs and move to a new location so loons like many other species, it's a very intuitive rule right a very like common yeah. sense you and i would do the same thing yeah
0: evolution right
1: um right and uh and loons do it and but we didn't know since the pair work so closely together we didn't know which of the two pair members was using that rule or if somehow it was a communication between them because if the birds are coming back each year they're very long lived. And if if they're coming back to the same territory each year you know is it the is it the female that's she's the one laying the eggs is she the one that's choosing the nest location that kind of made sense to us Um, or is it the male or do they, is there some discussion and they somehow are able to figure out who's who's been here longer, who knows better, and we're gonna I'm gonna defer to you and you're gonna choose the nest location. Well, to make a long story short, the males for, for reasons we don't understand, we uh, we learned about 15 years ago that males choose the nest location. Uh, we know that because when a male vanishes from a from a territory that was successful the previous year, uh, the new male never nests in the same nest location that the male okay you so so it's like the new like male thing. comes in yeah the male new male comes he's clueless he doesn't know what he's doing and even the, if the female has been there for 20 years she has to put up with the you know the ignorance if that sounds mean, but the <laughs> ignorance of the new male, because, and he blunders around and tries to figure out where to nest. And that's the way, so isn't that, a, I mean, it's a, such a puzzling thing behaviorally. Well,
0: a, it, to me, it's a very classic male thing, stumbling <laughs> well, around yeah. trying to find yeah, out. Now way. that you
1: put that spin on it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. The things that, 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 you know, females have to put up with, but, but anyway, that's what, and that, you know, you might think, okay, maybe that's just an interesting oddity, but that turns out to be really pivotal in loons territorial behavior because it means if you think about it it means that oh males that territory becomes worth uh, worth a ton to that male a male particularly has a great value because he learns about that territory and he's the only one who knows and can use that information and so if as he remains on that territory that territory gets more and more valuable to him over time because he starts to know i can nest here and oh sometimes i fail there but i can move it over here and so he, he accumulates this information about where to nest um, and and that's interesting because males are the ones that that fight really hard for their territories and often die in the process so males females also fight for their territories and a very very occasionally a female will die but male territory battles that lethal territory battles among males are really common. And we think that's largely because males would suffer tremendously by losing this super valuable territory that they've been learning about year after year and having to go to a new a new site whereas a female if you think about it okay a female doesn't choose the nest location as long as she's on a territory with a male who knows where he's going knows where he's nesting she's just as good off as well off as on one territory as another so it's a different problem that that you know, that females and males face. And it turns out to be really, really central to understanding why they behave the way they do in these battles, the, the, the stakes are just so much higher for males.
0: You, you mentioned something um, <clears throat> a few minutes ago about um, the, the kind of the age, uh, the age class uh, of loons. What is like the, the I guess, if there is an average, but kind of the average life expectancy of a male or a female loon?
1: Um, the average for a male, I mean, you have to realize a lot of birds die in their first few years, mm-hmm. but um, if, if a male makes it back to the um, breeding ground, uh, the average life expectancy is probably somewhere in the late teens for, oh, for wow. males. We have these data. Uh, and so, you know, 16, 17, 18 years old is probably going to be about the mean. Uh, you never know when when you'll some accident will strike. I mean, if you're migratory, um, you know, there's some dangers in migration. There are always tiger sharks out there. And when you're down in Florida wintering that can, that can grab you. Uh, so you never know when that'll, uh, the tiger shark will come with your name on it. Um, uh, but, uh, females on the other hand live into their twenties and, um, or, or l- more often live into their twenties. We have, we have both males and females who've lived into their thirties. Uh, but, um, females live longer males many males kind of hit the wall at about age 15 and their their survival rate declines uh, okay. at, at age 15. some males keep going and going but but a lot of males kind of hit the wall there whereas females have a gradual decline but but um, they 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 are stayers and survivors and I guess again another parallel to humans I suppose you could say um, in that uh, females really hang in there well whereas males tend to hit the wall sooner.
0: Yeah. And, and I'm just making a complete assumption here, but it kind of goes back to what you were talking about with female or with the males picking the site location for nests and the females kind of in- inherently, um, feeling comfortable in there because they know that the male has likely kind of, you know, done his due diligence, let's say right over the course of time and, and using those, those breeding grounds and those nesting areas, um, So there's, you know, less stress or less potential harm on the female. And if there is, you know, inherent danger in the area or something moves in, some type of, um, you know, predator or anything like that, that the male is the one likely, like you mentioned, that's, you know, trying to defend that ground. And and that's when, you know, they could potentially lose their life as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, although I I, got to say, uh, Marcus, that these are like, These are male-male battles and female-female battles.
0: Okay. So these are...
1: um, So um, the only case when you have a male attack a female or maybe a a female attack a male which would be very rare is if if a female is with her chicks and a a male intruder came in she might try to attack the male but um but yeah uh males are larger they're about 20 to 25 percent larger so they do more territory defense they're also only the ones they're only ones who can give the territorial call which is called the yodel and so males are kind of better equipped to to defend the territory and they spend a lot of time defending the chicks uh they give you this yodel a lot to try to drive and to keep intruders from even landing when the chicks are small because intruders do kill loon chicks sometimes Um, okay so so yeah males do have a a a higher um responsibility in in terms of um uh, defending the territory, but females, when, it, when another female comes in to try to take a female's territory, it's like the male kind of stands back and says, okay, this is you, uh, and, uh, and, uh, this is your responsibility and, and vice versa. I mean, females don't help their, you, you might think, well, why don't, pairs get together and defend drive yeah. anybody off who um come, tries to come in no the female sits back and lets the males battle and and vice versa so um yeah it's a it's very much a female on female or male on male battle okay uh, when that happens unless there are chicks and then and, and that in that case then you get both pair members working together because the chicks are so valuable to them
0: yeah and that was a that was an interesting um fact that you said that <clears throat> usually there's only one maybe two chicks um in a cycle, which, you know, I, and maybe it's just, you know, my own ignorance on the topic, but I would, I would have assumed, you know, that you were looking at, you know, four to five, um, you know, yeah, per people,
1: yeah, people think of them as, you know, of course, they they look for similar to ducks. Right. But uh, so people think of them as ducks and, you know, think of the ducks, you know, mallard ducks with, you know, 13 uh, yeah. ducklings behind and mergansers that they see up uh, with with equal numbers and, you know, huge families. And um, that's not the case for loons. For loons, um, again, I guess you could say like humans. I mean, we not many young that we have. And there's a ton of investment in the young that we do have. I mean, I mean, chicks. Uh, or or aloons stay stay with their young and feed their young for like 11 weeks before, for, you know, two and a half months until the young get, old enough to be able to feed themselves and able to fly and, and, and whatnot. So there's a huge investment in either the one or the two chicks that, that loons produce very different model from what ducklings are doing. Where like, you know, there are 13 ducklings today and they're 11 tomorrow and you hope at least a few of them survive. Right. And loons is like a big deal. You have one or two, uh, loon chicks and you defend them to the hilt.
0: Yeah. So <clears throat> Walter, in your, I guess your your most recent project, and and you know the the reason that we're able to, to speak here today, you're studying the decline um, in like the North Midwest, and you said you've been working on this study for four or five years. Is that correct?
1: Well, so in Minnesota, I, I um I started in this will be my third year coming up. Okay. We started in okay. 2021 in Minnesota. In in Wisconsin, we began in '93, so we're coming up to year 31, uh, but in Minnesota. Um, we are, we're just getting into year three. And in some ways though, even though it is a different state, of course, loons don't know, don't know and respect state boundaries, I'm afraid. Uh, so, and the loons in Minnesota, they are somewhat different from the ones in Wisconsin. There are some average differences in the lakes and, and, and all that. But but uh, really, we feel like the pressures that the loons are facing in Wisconsin and Minnesota are very similar. You know, there's a lot of recreational uh, activity up there. A lot of loons getting caught on fishing lines. There's lead, uh, that lead can be a problem, lead poisoning, um, and a variety of other things. I mean, we've most recently we've just uh, we just got a paper that we're, that's just been submitted for publication on water clarity. There's been a decline in water clarity in Wisconsin and, and I haven't looked closely at Minnesota yet because we're just getting ramped up there. But I suspect there's been also been a decline in water clarity in, in Minnesota in our in the study lakes that we're now working there. And, and water clarity is critical to loons of course because their visual predators who are looking for the fish underwater. So if right. the water gets less clear, It means they can't find as many fish for their young and the chicks lose mass. And this paper that we just wrote up uh, shows pretty clearly statistically that there's a strong association between water clear short term water clarity, essentially water clarity in July and the, the mass of the chicks. And in fact, even adult mass is tied somewhat to water clarity, less strongly than chicks. But the chicks are like, you know, in some cases the chicks are living or dying over water clarity. And there's been an overall decline in water clarity in in Wisconsin and Minnesota in a way that, sorry, in Wisconsin, we presume it's also true in Minnesota. Uh, And so we're very concerned because of course, water clarity is a big measure of water quality that everybody cares about, even if you're not a loon aficionado like I am.
0: So is it – I don't want to ask this. Um, You've been, you know, studying the loons in Wisconsin for, like you said, coming up on 30 years, and you're in, you know, or or you're in year three or coming up on year three um, in Minnesota. What what differences are – you know, habitat and, and things like that. I mean, those are, they're all very similar, right? Kind of like you pointed out. Um, what are you seeing in Minnesota that, that kind of really has you going, you know, for, Oh shit. Right. Like what, well, we, we got to I mean, make something happen I, here. I,
1: yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm a kind of a worry ward anyway, and I don't know. And, and since I've seen things decline in Wisconsin, I'm already kind of on edge and, and worried about, um, Minnesota, but, I, I will say that uh, just in the two years that we have worked, the last two years have been poor reproductive years for, for the part in Minnesota that we're at. Now we're in uh, Crow Wing County in north central Minnesota. A little bit north of our uh, Wisconsin study area, if you're looking, you know, latitudinally, and uh, but right, pretty much in the heart of the state, and it's the the black flies, which are a big problem because they're, you know, they're pests for humans, of course, but this is a different species of black fly that only only bothers loons. Um, and they, they really can bother loons severely and cause almost a hundred percent abandonment of May nests in some oh, wow. in really severe years, which happened three years ago in Wisconsin. And we got just about the same thing in Minnesota, uh, just, uh, just this past year. And the year before were both really bad black fly years. Um, and so that, that already makes me think. Hmm. You know, we knew there were black flies in Minnesota, but now we know. Wow, they are a major cause of nest failure. And you know, if you're if if you're looking at things from a population level, a loon population level, if black flies are severe, it's like it's like being hit in the mouth early in the year because they cause you, they cause huge rates of abandonment of the first nests And those first nests are the most important nests. Those are the most likely to be successful. And therefore, if you have massive abandonment of those first nests, you know, it's never, it's not going to be a good year. It can't ever bounce back to where, even though they try to renest. most pairs will try to renest, but, but many will fail. And so it's just like, you know they just lost that great opportunity so the fact that black flies are really bad and we've also noticed that this last year chick mortality in in Minnesota was higher higher in Minnesota than uh, in in 2022 than we've ever seen in Wisconsin uh, in any year so wow. i mean i don't know it's again it's too early to be an absolute <laughs> to in panic mode but i'm very concerned cuz this suggests that uh, that, that reproductively Minnesota loons aren't producing as many young as, as they should be. Um, uh, there are a couple of possible reasons for that. It, it, it's, there are, there's a higher rate of artificial nesting platforms. You know, people put out these one meter by one meter squared uh, PVC, usually uh, nesting platforms for loons. And those are great because they, you know, they allow loons often to hatch eggs and the raccoons can't get to them because they, they anchor them offshore. So those are great, but now people have put so many of those up in Minnesota that we worry that they are causing loons to nest because they're so attractive to loons. They're causing loons to nest in areas where they wouldn't even think of nesting before because there's no nesting habitat. And that could draw adults into places where there's good nesting habitat on that platform, but where maybe there's too much boat traffic or maybe uh, fish populations aren't high enough to sustain the chicks. So it's possible that that's causing, and and this is speculative, but it's possible that's causing a disconnect between where the nesting habitat is and where the habitat, good habitat for raising chicks is, the safe habitat where there's a, enough food. So that's, those are a couple of, couple of concerns that I have in Minnesota that have already got me tossing and turning a little more than, <laughs> than I do ordinarily.
0: So it's almost like you're there that, you know, people are creating these, you know, safe havens for, for nesting, but Due to that, it's almost it almost has the loons going um, against their instincts or or their better judgment in terms of like finding an area that is you know a safe nesting ground, but also has the right um, you know habitat around it yeah. to allow um, you know the birds to develop when they're young and everything like that with you know a healthy fish population and everything like that because right. that probably goes back into you know, what we, what you talked about is, you know, learning, you know, as these males nest in the same area over and over again, they're learning. Okay. Like, you know, we, we know that there's good fish here. right um, you right. know, we, we know that it's safe. So it's, you're doing it's, something good, but almost having a reverse effect. It's in pos- the long now,
1: now th- 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 it's early days, Marcus. So it's too, that's my, again, that's my worry wart sign side. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's coming up with that explanation, but it's possible that, that, the, that we're putting in, uh, in some cases, there we're putting in platforms where um, where that hatches the chicks, and we feel good, you know good about the chicks that are hatched, but we haven't taken like yeah, like you say, a sort of a holistic view to make sure that the habitat otherwise is going to support those chicks and the parents are going to be able to raise those chicks in a safe place. Because just having a platform out somewhere doesn't mean you got a good place. Yeah, you know, it doesn't mean right. a good safe place for the chicks to hang out. And uh, yeah, I mean, people put out platforms sometimes in very busy areas where there are huge boats coming through all the time at speed. And you think, wow, those chicks are going to be in trouble if the parents you know, get caught out with their chicks in the wrong location at the wrong time. So, yeah.
0: Now these nesting platforms are the, you know, when these are are being put into place and things like that, the, the, whether it's conservation organizations, whether it's just, you know, regular people who, you know, are trying to, you know, do their part, so to speak, are they, you know, consulting with, you know, biologists like yourself in order to kind of determine these optimal places for these, um, nesting platforms to go?
1: I think that usually happens. I know I, I know Wisconsin better than uh, Minnesota, so we're just learning about Minnesota. Uh, but but I know that in Wisconsin there are guidelines, uh, and uh, you know uh, you have to get permission to put. Uh, to put the platform out, so you have to check with the DNR, and and I often uh, get asked as as a resident loon expert, is this a good is this a good promising place to put a nesting platform? Is this a good lake to put a platform? You know, does does the information that you have on the breeding success of the loons uh, make it look like they will benefit from this? So so there's a pretty careful study in Wisconsin. I th- I think in Minnesota a, a similar thing happens um, in most cases, at least. And I certainly also want to say, if you know, people hear these, you know, people who put out platforms, there are people who year after year put out platforms, um, in Minnesota and Wisconsin, both. And they, they put it out, the loons use it. They have chicks, they fledge the chicks. And we know that that's a positive for the population. So I do not want to run into this situation of just, you know, <laughs> casting aspersions on folks right, who put out right. platforms because many, in many times we know that it boosts the, the, population success but there are some cases where people uh, people seem to put out platforms that that maybe are not in a great location maybe should have checked or they put too penny too many platforms and put them too close together okay. um, so um, and also you know when you put out a platform that's a big deal when there's when there's um, 28 inches of ice, you know, on a lake, uh, in the winter, you know, you're going to have to put that platform out. You're going to have to take it in, in the fall after the loons have used it, probably do some uh, maintenance on the platform, take it out in April to make sure it's there when the loons arrive the next spring. So there's a lot of maintenance and, 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 uh, and those things are heavy, big clunky (laughs) platforms that they have to take out. So, um, so yeah, I mean, when in, in the best case scenario, platforms are are really a positive uh, for loons and for the overall population but in some case and 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 in many cases they are regulated in some cases it doesn't seem as closely regulated as it, it should be
0: I think okay no that's that's fair and, you know it's like you said you didn't want to cast dispersions and and I don't think anyone's you know volunteering their time to be malicious with where <laughs> no. they're they're putting you know nesting platforms but I was, no, I was just kind of curious no it comes from a period. good place it always yeah. comes from a good place yeah so You know, you've been studying loons in Wisconsin for again close to thirty years. Do you feel like is that a study that is, you know, just gonna continue for the foreseeable future? Um, is it gonna are you gonna get to a point with that where, you know, you have, you know, enough data points where you can then sit down and and you know, spend, you know, however long it takes to to do a a thorough, you know, analysis of, of all the information and then make recommendations to, you know, the DNR, the fish and wildlife, you know, whichever department, uh, is involved. And I guess that's question one and question two would be kind of the same thing as it pertains to Minnesota. How long does that study need to be before you feel like you can, you know, make some, some very educated, you know, uh, recommendations for, you know, how to, how to rectify, you know, the situation that we're in.
1: Um, those are good questions and important questions. Uh, and my wife asks me those questions sometimes <laughs> too, because uh, you know when I when I leave California in the summertime, she she stays here. So um, so it's 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 a uh, you know it's a challenge. I've been do, doing it for so long; it's like become the norm. But but no, they're good questions. In Wisconsin, you know, my view in Wisconsin is, you know, this has been. Uh, a, a project that's given me so much and I just, I, I do feel like I owe the folks there. i made so many friends and so many folks have supported me and allowed me to do this research that I need to, now that we found that something's going wrong, we need to figure out what exactly it is and I need to to get to the stage where I can make recommendations as, as you alluded to. And I don't know what time the time course will be for that. I, um, now we, it looks like water clarity is an issue. It looks like, uh, black fly populations are higher. Now it appears than they've been in, in years past, uh, which both seem to be related to rainfall, increased rainfall and maybe increased temperature as well. Um, so, so these, and, and, um, uh, so I think we're at least, I don't know, I mean, I, I, I need to get to the point where uh, I've linked, if, if it's water clarity and black fly populations, I've linked those to the decline in the population and and uh, conveyed that information to, uh, to the DNR and, and, and made it known to the public. And so that folks in Wisconsin know this is what we have to do if we want to save loons here. And because uh, I do think we're going to be facing that at some point, I think down the road, maybe not too far from, from now, uh, we have to make. But but that's at least several more years away before you can nail things down. We, we have some glimmers of what's going on in terms of water clarity and black flies. Um, so that's Wisconsin. Um, Minnesota is sort of the other end of the, um, of the spectrum in terms of we're just getting started. But I've, I've said, um, and I think... And I strongly believe this is true. And within a couple of years, maybe by 2024, 2025, after the 2024 or 2025 field season, we'll be able to put a preliminary population model together that will give us a a number, a lambda. This is this number that population biologists used. And if lambda is 1, it means the population is stable. If lambda is one, 1.01, it means the population is going up by 1% each year and so forth. So it can be 0.99 is going down by 1%. Um, and so you 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 come up and generate an estimate of, of this scientific estimate of, of, of lambda, of what the population is doing. And I think in a couple of years in Minnesota, we'll know, OK, is the population stable there despite these early concerns that I have? Maybe right. I'm wrong. I've been wrong a lot and maybe I'm wrong there and maybe the population's stable and if so few you know what a relief maybe even the population's increasing it doesn't seem to be that would be hard to believe but maybe it's going up in which case few again but if the population's declining anything like what the population seems to be declining in north central wisconsin then it, you get to uh, then you get to the point where you're thinking okay what do we do uh then then you have to do the same sort of analyses that that i've begun to do in wisconsin where you say okay is it water clarity is it black flies is it something else is it human recreation in some way because human recreation is a is sometimes an issue we lose some loons to to human recreation um uh, you know which is fine i don't i I don't think it's i don't think that's likely to be making a uh, you know, I don't think that's likely to be causing the, tent, the decline. Yeah. I, I don't know. But uh, but you have to have everything on the table. You know, you need to take an honest look at it and see what's going on. But that's so that's a couple of years away before the time in Minnesota when we say, OK, here's what seems to be the problem. And now if there or, or, you know, if there is a problem, actually, that's the first step is, is there a problem? And if there's a problem, then. Then, uh, then we go into phase two. Okay, what what can we do about it? And of course, the fact that we will have been already were a little bit ahead in knowing about Wisconsin should be able to be transferable to Minnesota. A lot of the lessons that we learned in Wisconsin can be transferable to to Minnesota, so that we can get a good sense uh, from that um, uh, um, to make recommendations to to the DNR and, 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 local agents, conservation agencies, uh, and the state and legislators, what do we need to do to protect loons? I mean, in Minnesota, you know, they love loons both places in Minnesota, it's the state bird. Right. Uh, so, you know, people don't want to mess around with, uh, with losing uh, loons from Minnesota and, and the stakes seem even higher there. Although people in Wisconsin also love loons. So, um, uh, so, but, you know, so we're several years away from from, um, being able to, to know what, what we can, what we need to do in each place. But, um, but, but, but having one will help us learn about the other, I think. And that's going to be a real benefit of, of having, you know, spent all that time in Wisconsin.
0: Yeah. And that was, excuse me, that was one of my questions was going to be is, you know, what can you apply from Wisconsin to Minnesota? Does that, you know, once you kind of have your, your Lambda, your baseline, right, are a lot of those things going to be transferable? Can you, you know, I guess shorten uh, you know the quote unquote learning curve uh, yeah. in terms of you know you've spent thirty years in in Wisconsin yeah. you know studying all these activities you know, maybe you can come to the same conclusions in, in Minnesota, but maybe it takes you 12 years, right? Absolutely. Just, just absolutely. based on lessons even, learned.
1: Or even faster. I yeah. mean, it, it depends how similar they are, uh, Marcus. Uh, if, if they're very similar, it could be that that really it's the same two things or the mm-hmm. same three things or whatever, because they are very similar to look at them. The, the, you know, they're both lots of human recreational activity, um, some boating problems that loons have, getting killed by boats sometimes. And, um and uh, lead, lead problems in both states. Um, and then, like I said, the black flies and the water clarity is probably similar. So it may be that exactly the same thing needs to be done in Minnesota as Wisconsin, in which case, instead of 12 years, it'll be, you know, maybe five years. We do have to get, we do have to get enough population data in Minnesota to to know what's going on and be able to say confidently, because, you know, you, we, we want to do, Rigorous science, and for that you need a large sample. You need to follow enough lakes to be able to not say something, you know, off the cuff. Uh, yeah. You need to say something st- with with statistical significance, and, and you need to make sure that you send it to peers, uh, you know, collab- other scientists who agree this is what's going on. You have the evidence. Here's what we need to do, and then let's get it done.
0: Yeah, and you, you've you've mentioned it a few times, but the the lead poisoning. Um, I had a gentleman on the podcast uh, who works for the Michigan Wildlife Federation here, and he is a a big advocate and a big proponent for uh, non lead uh, fishing tackle and non lead um, ammunition in your firearms as well, because and and maybe I'm late to the game uh, in terms of uh, you know really having a, a full understanding of. Of um, that issue, but that's one that it's almost like a silent killer um, because yeah. it's it's hard to, or it may be hard for individuals to, you know, go out and you know they're using you know lead ammunition or lead um, you know tackle when they're fishing and they can't see the results, right? They can't right. see the the result a year down the road or two years down the road, um, especially, you know, like in birds that catch, you know, predatory birds that are catching fish that have lead poisoning and then it's killing the birds. Like it's just, yeah. it's kind of this, this slow trickle effect, but it's certainly one that I have seen um, a lot bigger uh, of an emphasis put on um, in recent years. How are you guys able in your studies to, you know, determine these types of things like how lead poisoning, um, is affecting and, you know, what, you know, I guess the, the totality of that effect.
1: Well, um, of course we study, um, you know, we study these marked birds that are living on their territories and look at their behavior, but we do lose them to, to lead poisoning. We have, um, um, usually it's, it's angling, you know, it's fishing incidents where they, 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 They swallow a jig or they swallow a sinker and, uh, they take it from a fishing line. Um, and so, but we don't see as much of it as, uh, as the rehabbers do the folks who are called and, uh, and when, when there's a loon that's in trouble, this is, there's a loon that's acting strangely, or there's a loon on shore, or maybe there's just, there's a dead loon, um, you know, um, and, uh, but the, um, and so so we're beginning to collect data Uh, more systematically and we're beginning to look for lead more you know do x-rays and look for lead more than uh, than we used to both in and that's happening both in wisconsin and in minnesota different agencies in wisconsin and minnesota and i in many cases it's rehabbers who are really doing fantastic work spending a lot of resources to try to save birds um that that have lead poisoning and hoping they can bring them back and occasionally that can happen or at least documenting this bird died from lead poisoning you know this Bird died from that point of this. So, um, so really, um, I don't collect as much information about that. Although, anytime there's a loon in trouble, uh, in real trouble, we'll catch it and quickly take it to to a rehabber uh, and uh, and try to get some help. And we have a number of rehabbers who've stepped up in both Wisconsin and Minnesota who, who will do that. But, but it is a big problem. I mean, I mean, um, if you think about it, I said you know, earlier on, I talked about how a male loon can be on a territory for 20 years. And we've just docked another paper that I've just uh, writing up and I'm about to send off for publication is, is a paper that, that shows that males continue to increase and increase steadily in their ability to hatch eggs, even after 15 years on a territory, they're still getting a little bit better each year. Cause that's, and that's the, the value of that familiarity they have with a territory. And so think about it. If a male on a territory that's been there for 20 years gets lead poisoning, that all of that knowledge and you know information She's that gone. that male had about is 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 lost, and that territory, the new male that comes in is back to square one. He doesn't know any, doesn't know where doesn't know where to nest, and so as from a population standpoint, you know those males become these super valuable, knowledgeable animals that um, that produce that crank out the chicks once they get the, the get the experience. So that's a case where lead poisoning really really can hit them hard. And I mean, lead poisoning of females is terrible too. It happens that females, there are more females, there's a female biased uh, sex ratio. So there are more females in the population than males um, in, 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 in our population in uh, in Wisconsin. So a female, a death of a female loon isn't as devastating as as the death of a male territory holder, but either way, it's bad. It's 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 yeah. uh, something, and it's something that we really need to fix because there are substitutes. I mean, if they were, if we were putting people out of the fishing business, uh, or putting people out of the hunting business with with uh, getting rid of lead, then that would be a tough call but really this should be i know it's a little more expensive but honestly aren't the loons worth it uh, and and as you say it's a it's a tragic situation because people don't see the immediate effect it takes right. it takes a, a couple of days for a loon to ingest a, a lead sinker and then become unable to move and then ultimately die and it's a must be a pretty bad way to go too and uh, yeah because it's not quick and um yeah, that's that's something that we really, really, we need to think harder about fixing, because uh, in addition, we don't know whether lead poisoning itself is a serious enough problem to hit the population to cause to be contributing to the population decline. But it's one of those it's sort of low hanging fruit. I mean, let's let's fix this. This is this is yeah. easy to fix. We know how to fix it. There are substitutes. We, it's not going to change our lives let's yeah, do it's, it. It's a
0: very tangible uh, yeah. change that can be made and you can yeah. see an immediate impact. So, <clears throat> um, kind of going back to trying to bring it full circle a little bit here. We talked about, you know, uh, the, the crisis, uh, if you want to call it that, the, the, that you're experiencing, that you're, you're studying, uh, in both Wisconsin and Minnesota and in Minnesota, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong there, Walter, but the The funding mechanism um, that you guys have for the work that you've been doing um, has taken a bit of a hit, correct yeah. in Minnesota yeah now our I guess for for quick clarification, um, you know funding for you know these different research projects and stuff comes in kind of in, in all different avenues. Is it different funding mechanisms um, for Wisconsin and for Minnesota, or is it all kind of pooled together I guess
1: well it could be either one. Thanks for asking about funding, but it it, it could be either one. It, in years past, we've gotten funding from the National Science Foundation, from NSF. So, um, and for fourteen years out of the thirty-one that I've studied loons, we've had National Science Foundation funding. But um, NSF funding is now much more competitive than it used to be. And it used to be that uh, you know about twenty-five to thirty percent of all the grants that were that were submitted. Uh, were were funded. And now it's in the, at least in the programs to which I apply, it's in the single digits. And so oh, it's wow. just really, really hard to get the money. Uh, so that's pinched us. And we have applied for, for funding from National Science Foundation. There's also been a little bit of a juggling of the programs in a way that Made it harder to get funding, long-term funding for for animal behavior-related programs like the work that I'm doing. So that that made it harder for us because the program kind of closed down in a way that that impacted us um, negatively. Um, but so so I've gotten a lot of funding from National Science Foundation in the past and am and continuing to try to do that. But the reality is, with funding rates as low as they are, uh, you you look for new uh, new sources of funding and um, fortunately, um, by a variety of means, despite the loss of NSF funding and and some some other funding that we had in in Minnesota uh, from another funding source, we've been able. Uh, you know, I have a blog that uh, that has a bunch of followers, and people love loons, and I talk about loons and talk about the research that that I do and and um the, by the way the blog is i was okay to plug yeah my, no my i was gonna, i and, was
0: going to ask you when you were done so go ahead
1: <laughs> okay it's at loon, loon dot O-R-G, um just loon dot O-R-G, and um and it, it'll show show you about the blog and give you an opportunity to to sign up if you're interested and you just get a you get an email the blog post each time i post a blog and and so that is uh something that that uh, I did because I enjoyed it and I thought I wanted to share what I was finding. And it's, it, um, it's, it provides lots of educational information and it kind of kind of quick look at the early scientific findings before they're actually published so that I can share that with folks as well as sometimes just my thoughts about loons and, and uh, sometimes there's a personal aspect to being a scientist and struggling to, to study, uh, study animals in, in nature. And so there's all sorts of things in there, but there's a lot about loons and, uh, and people have uh, gravitated towards that blog and when people heard that there were funding problems, I've gotten a lot of folks to step up And uh, at least they've gotten me to the stage now where in Minnesota um, there's enough funding for me to put a sort of a skeleton team together to kind of keep, kind of tread water, I guess you could say, in in Minnesota. So I can keep, I can, I can head back there and collect data early in the year and um, on to to see which marked birds have come back to try to look at, at see if we can say something about nesting in the middle of the year, and then to go late in the year to. To see where which, ter- uh, which parator- uh, territorial pairs have chicks, so that we can we can capture some of those birds and mark them and continue to expand our population. So we've got funding to just you know just barely enough to get that to kind of keep the project going, but we really want to get to the next level where we're able to do careful analyses make frequent observational visits to these territories, about 105 territories in Minnesota, just as we do in Wisconsin, so that, so that we can get really accurate information about nesting behavior, about the ages of chicks, because that turns out to be critical to our ability to, to, to measure the mass of the chicks. Uh, we have to adjust for age in order to see whether the mass has declined in Minnesota as it has in Wisconsin. So without a full-flung effort, the full funding, um, it's, uh, it's hard for us to get as high quality data as, as we like in order to ask the questions about water clarity and, and black fly impacts, uh, that we would like to. So, so we're kind of, we're stuck, uh, at a stage where, uh, and, and we're happy to be at the stage where we are, where this replacement, this funding that we lost a couple of months ago, we've, we've gotten, uh, a lot of that back and, uh, but we're, we're not able to put together a full, a full field team, a uh, regular field team in Minnesota. And that, and I, you know, I'm a little, you know, pretty anxious about that. That's why, that's why we're, we're asking for whatever help people, people feel they can give us. Cause we'd like to be able to get to the point where we can say, here's how minute loons are doing in Minnesota. And then if they're struggling, let's go to the next step and see what recommendations we can make for turning things around.
0: Yeah. And we, we kind of glitched there for a second. I don't know if you noticed that or oh, not, yeah. but, um, Where, you know, for, and I think the, the loon, you talked about it. It's, it's just such this iconic bird, especially in the Midwest. And for so many of us, I mean, you and I both shared our stories for people who, you know, want to get involved, right. For, you know, we have a, you know, I I would say a healthy listenership, um, on the podcast. And I think, um, a lot of them are very like-minded when it comes to conservation and to, um, you know, kind of a, a call to arms, if you will, when, when we see an issue <clears throat> and we know that we can help contribute, um, to that in some way, shape or form. So where can people, you know, if they, you know, if they have, you know, $25, if they have $50, whatever the case is, right, whatever they can contribute, where can people, um, go and, you know, learn more about the, uh, is it just at the loon project where they can just learn more about the work that you're doing, where they can possibly donate or send donations to?
1: Yes. Um, again, it's, it's Loon Project, just Loon Project all run together. One, one word, loonproject.org. And we have a, uh, a lot of information there about, um, what the goals are, what our recent findings have been, uh, the, about why we study birds, why do, why we study loons, why do we mark loons, what, what, um, what have we found out over the years? Uh, who's involved? Who are the pe- who am I? Who are the people involved in the project? Uh, there's also a publications link so you can see the publications uh, that we've made over the years. Um, some of them on behavior that, that I described. Some of them on conservation. More recently, they're more focused on conservation. And there's a donate page as well. Okay. So there's a there's a sub uh, sub menu on on loonproject.org that uh, that allows folks to to donate. And we would. We would love it if, if people um, would would uh, donate and anything they can and um, you know a lot of the donations we we've got uh, also some of the most valuable ones are if people happen to know know others or, or, or live or have uh, houses up in um, in the Cross Lake Minnesota area or in the Rhinelander Wisconsin area folks following the blog have allowed us to sometimes allowed us to stay there even for a short period of time uh during the summertime, uh, maybe you know before they come up in july we if we if we could stay stay uh you know they sometimes people provide us lodging um and so any kind of donation whether it's whether it's a financial or, or or some sort of lodging that folks can provide could be enormously valuable and could could allow us to keep the minnesota project going which is uh, Again, we're hanging in there with a the Minnesota project, but yeah. um, but we could use anything that people could provide. So I hope Do that's you, the information you needed.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'll be sure, um, you know, once we, we get the episode all put together to to highlight uh, loonproject.org um, in the show notes, um, you know, and, and anywhere where people can access the the episode that they'll be able to access um, the website as well. Do you have um, like a dollar amount that you guys are trying or is at this point, is it Hey, any any contributions are are welcome, and they will be put to good use.
1: Well, any certainly any contributions are, are really appreciated and, and and welcomed. Um, I mean, I run a pretty uh, lean operation. Uh, in in both places in Wisconsin, Winnes- you know, that's one of the things I'm proud of is that we we go out and we get young students who are interested in wildlife uh, biology, and uh, we see whether you know, and and I just spoke to one this morning and, um, uh, to see, you know, she was, she's interested in wildlife biology, getting more field exposure. And, Mm -hmm. and this is an intense field project. We cover a lot of ground and we, um, we fan out, we work in solo canoes on our own in order to maximize the amount of coverage we can make. So we, so we really do run a lean operation. Um, I mean, realistically, in order to, to, uh, to cover, Minnesota in in great detail um, we probably need another 20 K uh, to, to, to do that in and and, 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 and and you know that's a huge number and and uh, so but um, that's what we've you know that's our experience has shown us that we need about about uh, 35 or 40 K in each state to keep the project going and and uh, and that's just that's no salary for me. Uh, you know, I get paid by Chapman. That's just uh, funding that we get, give to, to give a little stipend to the students, sure. um, support, travel support for the students, travel support for me to be able to just go out to the study area, replace broken canoes and paddles and, uh, yeah, and there's whatnot. Overhead.
0: There's, there's, yeah, he, it's just he, sort of he, overhead you know, stuff, things... a
1: little bit of storage yeah. cost, and it just adds up. And that's what it comes to. So so we would love if we could get to, to, to 20K, uh, that would allow us to go from the skeleton Crew that we will have in Minnesota to to a full blown um, field effort in Minnesota so that we're we're really uh, moving quickly towards knowing what might be what might be causing problems in Minnesota or or really assessing the population so that we you know so we can tell whether there could be problems or not but um, so yeah that's kind of our target. Uh, at the moment, but, but any, anything people can, can afford to send would be so, uh, so uh, welcomed and uh, any thoughts or advice or, 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 or recollections. I love to get emails from people who, who tell me what, you know, what they've learned about loons or how they've known them and what, how loons have influenced <laughs> their lives. So people want to email me at, at W Piper at edu W that's just my name, W-P-I-P-E-R at Chapman, C-H-A-P-M-A-N dot E-D-U. And just tell me, this is what loons mean to me. And, and maybe if you can afford a donation to help us out, that would be tremendous. Because we want to keep loons around uh, as long as we can. And the idea, honestly, the idea that ever be lost from Wisconsin or Minnesota is just, I just can't even fathom that. that that's just a horrifying prospect. And I want to do what I can uh, during my uh, you know, remaining years out, out in the field to, uh, to make sure that never happens.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's, it, I mean, commendable is not even the right word. Um, the fact that, you know, you're kind of making this your, your life's work or the, you know, the, for the better part of your professional career, um, yep. you know, your, your goal to try to better understand and, uh, mitigate a problem that we see out there. And what you mentioned, you know, kind of your, your target goal of, of 20,000. Um, you know, I think that, you're right. That that is certainly a lot of money, but I think it's also one that's very attainable. Um, you know, if we can uh, get this message uh, in front of the right people um, and in front of the right organizations, I think that you know, thousand dollars here, you know, five hundred dollars, you know, things like that 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 can add up very quickly. And I think that um, you know, the loon especially probably holds a place in, in people's hearts. Um, you know, it's much further than just the Midwest here, right. You know, everyone's got stories, you know, kind of like you talked about. Um, and I think that, you know, stories like this, projects like this, they, they resonate with people and the, just the thought, like you said, of, you know, this, the decline of, you know, such a, an iconic animal, um, is scary, it, yeah, especially think- for, you know, you don't have to be a hunter, a hunter or an angler. Um, you just have to be you know, someone who spent any amount of time in the outdoors and to, to gain an appreciation, you know, and not even for loons, you know, maybe it's for, for other, you know, wildlife, um, that, you know, people have an affinity for that, you they don't want to see things go away. Right. And I think that, you know, with, with 2% and, you know, the relationship, um, there that I, you know, I, I feel very confident that we can, you know, really try to help, you know, put. This project in the best possible shape to to succeed and to to give you guys the the tools you and your team the tools that you need in order to help you know push this thing across the finish line. Like I said earlier, and you know make educated and and scientific decisions about um, you know what's possibly causing this decline in population and hopefully you know help rectify that.
1: Yeah, I, I thank you so much for saying that. I, I I strongly agree. I mean, I I think there are people I mean, I used to be one of these people that that before I started studying loons that something about going up to the North Woods and and, and being, you know, inside your cabin at night and hearing loons at night is just magical. And I felt like, you know, my my stress and my uh, you know, my pulse <laughs> pulse rate came down, the stress melted Anxiety away and gone. somehow yeah, it was it's just so uh, such a special experience, and to to lose that, the threat of losing that is just is just obscene to me. And uh, I I do feel like you know we're the ones on the ground really collecting the data and learning the information that we will pass on to to uh, agencies, to local agencies and state agencies and, and federal agencies, if if need be, to try to turn things around, to try to change policies. Once we have the science, once we have the knowledge, we can go in smart and know where the pressure points are and and try to reverse uh, the, the trend, the negative trend that we see in Wisconsin and that the negative trend that's likely to be there. Uh, in Minnesota, if we find one. So, but without that knowledge, we're going in blind, we're flying blind. And, um, so, uh, so I think the money that, uh, the, the the people are able to, to, to give us is money that, that goes to knowledge and goes more directly to, to conservation than, um, you know, than maybe a donation you'd make to some organization that's interested in loons and other animals. But, but, um, you know, we're, we're, we're buying a canoe paddle, uh, (laughs) you know, with that money.
0: You're buying um, transportation.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're able to go to the study area. We're able to hire another person to cover some more lakes in order to increase our sample size to get better statistical results so that we really know what's going on. So we feel it strongly um, when people give uh, to our, our project, and uh, we think we use that money very, very efficiently. Yeah. A lot of bang for the buck, I guess, is what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I, I, I hate to discourage people from... Um, you know, where, or encourage or discourage people on, on where they spend their money. But, you know, instead of, you know, maybe buying a membership to certain, you know, whatever, right. I mean, that's not even, yeah. right. I shouldn't have said that, <laughs> but, you know, instead of, you know, buying this, you know, maybe, you know, you spend that 35 bucks or that 50 bucks and, and you donate it to a good cause. That's, that's going to potentially help, um, you know, slow down or stop the, uh, the decline of, uh, of a certain animal and, you know, I, I I like the fact that while this is, I guess you could call it reactive in some sense, I think we're being, you and your team are being proactive in, in the approach to try to not let it get to a point where it's like, you know, these are going to, you know, land on, you know, a list that we don't want it on here before too long, if something isn't done. So if we can get out ahead of that as best as possible, I think that the, the work that you and your team are doing are, is, is incredible. And, um, you know, hopefully, with this podcast and, and hopefully with, you know, the, the, the work that 2% is doing to try to raise awareness for this as well, that that we can, you know, right the ship, so to speak, and, and get you back to full strength with your team there. And we can really, um, you know, make, you guys can really make, I say we, <laughs> yeah <laughs> that you guys can really make a change for this. because I think um, it's
1: we, I think we're all, we're all, you know, interested in this. And, uh, and yeah, I, I do think um, there's enough There's still, most of the loons are still there in Wisconsin. This is the time that we need to know. And we need to learn when the population is still strong enough so that we can turn things around. Like you say, we can right the ship. And uh, so if we, if we uh, wise up now and and see where the pressure points are, then we can, um, we can anticipate problems down the road and, and, and take steps to, to, uh, to stop those, those pressure points from, from causing problems for the loon populations.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, for those listening again, uh, loonproject.org. You can go over there and and see all the work that um, Walter and his team are doing, how you can donate and help give back Walter Piper thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, it's been very eye Uh, it's been great to, to hear about the work that you're doing and, uh, hopefully we can do this again soon when, you know, hopefully we've hit this goal and then we can talk about, you know, what, what's to come over the, you know, the coming years and, and the research that you and your team plan to do.
1: Great, Marcus. Well, I, I, I can't thank you enough for, for giving us this exposure and an opportunity to, to, uh, see if people will, will help out. And, um, it's been, it's been great to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Walter. Take care and we'll talk soon. Okay. Bye-bye. All right, guys. Well, thank you again for sticking around and uh, listening to this episode that I had with Walter. Um, If you had a chance to listen to it a second time around, uh, thank you uh, two times, (laughs) I suppose. Um, But no, um, do... Uh, as Walter alluded to towards the end of the episode there, be sure to check out the loom project, uh, in ways that you can help donate and keep this project going, uh, and hopefully, uh, be part of the solution going forward, uh, as it pertains to the loons. Um, yeah, I would also like to thank 2% for conservation. And if you're interested in learning more about 2% for conservation, you can visit their website, fish.com. wildlife.org And over there, you can see all the certified brands that have committed to conservation that you should support when you shop. I also encourage you guys to give 2% a follow on social media where it's going to be only uh, positive conservation-driven content landing in your feeds. So again, if you'd like to learn more about 2% for Conservation, you can look for them online on social media or at fishandwildlife.org. Thanks for joining me this week, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Until next week. Stay safe out there and remember that conservation starts with you.